1: This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Sorry about that. Technical difficulties as we continue to broadcast remotely um, because of this pandemic. Joining us now by phone is Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont. Governor Lamont, can you hear me?
2: Yes, I can. Good morning, Lucy.
1: And thank you uh, for your flexibility, Governor. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Now, Governor Lamont, you've been doing almost daily briefings over the last month. You've been traveling to certain locations. Um, As the governor of Connecticut, how often are you checked for fever to make sure you're healthy?
2: I check myself um, on a daily basis for fever and just uh, any of those conditions that would necessitate uh, having to call a doctor. And uh, I've been very careful and, and thankfully I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm not getting out very much. I'm staying very close to the residents here.
1: We know the CDC has issued new guidelines for the public, now recommending everyone wear cloth masks if needed. Is this something that you would consider, Governor, as you continue to travel around the state?
2: Well, again, I'm not doing uh, very much traveling around the state, but if I found myself in a public uh, space where I was, uh, you know, had a hard time keeping the six-foot distance of uh, the cloth mask, is something I would uh, seriously consider.
1: Tell us about the latest numbers of COVID-19 in our state, Governor.
2: Uh, the interesting um, stat is probably hospitalizations, uh, uh Most importantly, our hospital system is uh, stretching, but um, bending, but not breaking, especially in lower Fairfield County, Uh, Fairfield County, which is still the epicenter, but it's moving north. New Haven County now has, um, you know, um, uh, almost as many um, uh, new infections as you have in uh, uh, Fairfield County and then moving up to Hartford uh, from there uh, with a little less degree, which is good. It gives us more time. Just as importantly, um, we've got our hospital system working as one. So if it's people and materials we need to go from the northern part of the state to the southern part of the state to give them a little more capacity this month, we're prepared to do that. And the um, shoes could be on the other foot within another month or two. Mm -hmm.
1: As of Sunday, more than 5,600 Connecticut residents have tested positive for COVID. At least 189 known COVID-19 fatalities. Governor Lamont, tell us more about the peak. Is the next couple of weeks going to be pretty bad in our state, and and what does that mean for our hospital capacity?
2: Well, uh, remember uh, the peak is different uh, in different places. Uh, so my hunch is the peak in. Um, Fairfield County, which obviously got hit first a little over a month ago, Danbury Hospital, the first um, person tested positive. Uh, The peak there will be uh, probably in uh, late April. Uh, But then as you go further up uh, north, um, it'll be uh, in two-week lags probably. So I would guess that um, New Haven County would probably be closer to um, uh, mid-May. And uh, I think you'll find that Eastern Connecticut probably could be another month after that. Uh, And again, that gives us a little bit of flexibility in terms of mobilizing our assets.
1: And when you say mobilizing assets, what do you mean? Because when we think about how Connecticut hospitals um, really have been working hard to get things like protective equipment and ventilators, um, how much does the state need to be able to handle this peak that you've mentioned?
2: Most importantly, is ventilators right now. We have a limited supply. Um, uh, The federal government's been, uh, let's say, a little slow in um, giving the states access to what we need there. Uh, We put in our order months ago. We had planned for this, uh, you know, very thoroughly. So that said, we know exactly where every ventilator is in the state. We know exactly what um, hospital it may be at. And in some hospitals, because there's a lot less um, hospitalizations due to COVID, they have some excess of ventilators. And and southern part of the state, uh, they're uh, uh, closer to the limit. So that's what I mean when I say we can deploy our assets uh, where needed.
1: When we think about um, how much uh, the state will need because of this surge, where is the state of Connecticut sourcing PPE? Are you having other issues like other states where you think that you're getting the needed equipment and then it's bought out from underneath you?
2: Absolutely. Oh, my God. We've had more orders that were scheduled for delivery in six hours. And, oh, it's just been um, put off for another month. Uh, I I describe it as surge pricing on Uber. You think you got the car, you see the price going up, you keep uh, hitting yes. And then at the last moment, the car speeds off in another direction. And uh, it's uh, discombobulated the way we're doing the purchasing um, as a country right now. It really should be centralized in the federal government. We're sourcing material. I was on the phone for an hour this morning with China. Um, you know, it'd be so much better if uh, the federal government was taking the lead on this. But in the meantime, the states are doing what they can to um, keep ahead of the curve.
1: What conversations are you having with the White House and other officials here in our state about trying uh, to get those supplies here?
2: Uh, We're on a pretty regular contact with the White House. Uh, When I say we, it's uh, generally me and, um, you know, uh, 40 other governors uh, in a conference. I'll be doing that in about an hour and a half. um, We go on the screen, you get a chance to make your case. Uh, um, But that's uh, probably not that's not good enough right now. Um, I was on the phone with Dr. Fauci. I think it was yesterday trying to make personal appeals. Uh, You know, tell the White House and in as clear as I can that don't think about this pandemic in terms of states. Think about it as a region. And right now, southern uh, Connecticut, which is really New Haven, down to New York City, is part of a hot zone region. They should be deploying assets to the region, not to one state um, as opposed to another.
1: We're going on two weeks of the stay home, stay safe executive order. Uh, governor Lamont, uh, you know, are people in our state following your guidance that people should be staying home? And at what point do you, as the governor, make this a mandatory stay at home?
2: Well, when you say mandatory, um, we're telling everybody uh, stay at home unless you absolutely have to go out for um, health related, for um Food, for fuel um you know there's some key requirements out there i haven't closed down parks as you know i find that a source of some um uh, you know mental solace and uh i i was at a park uh, yesterday walking through i'd say predominantly people are um following the social distancing there we have big expansive parks but katie dykes our commissioner as you know has had to um you know shut down parking once they reach close to capacity just to um Make sure that there are no temptations to do anything, but follow the uh, six-foot social distancing very seriously.
1: And for those people who are not taking it seriously, Governor, is there more that you can do?
2: Uh, Well, there is. I mean, in those, um, you know, uh, grocery, for example, stores where perhaps we got some complaints, uh, people are self-policing. Neighbors are sending us videos. If we see um, uh, people are congested at, at a particular store, um, we have sent out the uh, police who have given people a, a friendly reminder for the first time, less friendly the next time, that uh, you have to follow the social distancing orders. This is an executive order in this firm.
1: You can join our conversation with Governor Lamont, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Fred's calling from New Britain. Fred, briefly, what's your question? Uh,
3: Governor, I'd like to know, prior to shutting down restaurants and and businesses, why didn't someone from the Department of Labor come up to you and say, we only have 10 people in this department right now, how will we handle all these hundreds of thousands of claims, which are now causing a five to six week backlog for checks to get out? I mean, that is completely unacceptable.
1: Uh, Governor Lamont, how do you respond to to Fred's uh, uh, criticism that more needs to be done to process these record number of unemployment claims?
2: No, Fred, uh, I'm afraid Fred's absolutely right. I mean, we, we knew what we needed to have in order to process claims during um, a, a normal recession. We had more than enough capacity to do that. We had the technology in place to get a new um, IT system installed, but that was uh, scheduled for uh, you know 12 months from now, so that doesn't help. Uh, nobody anticipated that we were going to have 20 times the number of claims in two weeks that we had uh, during the last recession, 20 times. Anyway, I'm not here to make excuses. I'm here to solve problems. So um, so is Kurt Westby, our commissioner. And what he's doing is he's working on a technical workaround. I hope we're going to have some good news on that uh, this week. If that works, we're going to be able to greatly expedite getting those checks out to each and every one of you as needed, hopefully in the next uh, two, three weeks.
1: Governor Lamont, you mentioned a technical workaround. Is, are there plans to hire additional staff to process these claims?
2: Well, absolutely. We've uh, probably tripled the staff there in the last uh, couple of weeks, bringing folks out of uh, retirement, redeploying people from other parts of GOL. And by the way, nobody's uh, losing any of their unemployment. Everything is retroactive, uh, you know, to the time that a company went down or uh you know this covid crisis hit so um have a little confidence there but we are making this an urgent priority mm. and by Going the way back- i got to tell you lucy it's true in 49 other states i'm afraid to say that's cold mm. comfort
1: Mm. Uh, going back to my previous question about uh, what more could be done to have people stay at home to uh, delay again the spread of coronavirus. Uh, Seth on Facebook writes, shouldn't we shut down the train system to prevent the spread from New York City?
2: Yeah, I've talked to Governor Cuomo about that a fair amount, because uh, uh, obviously the train takes people cross state borders, just the type of thing that is contrary to our uh, travel advisory, and our stay-at-home order. But that said, um, 95% fewer people on the train today than uh, six weeks ago, and we tracked many of those or most of those um, are really essential workers. They are nurses going um, or doctors going in the other direction, uh, public first responders. So um, we're following that very carefully, um, and I think it's taking care of itself.
1: Uh, Governor Lamont, just a a few more questions. Uh, We know that there are a lot of parents that are doing uh, distance learning with their children while they're trying to work. Uh, Some parents weren't too happy uh, when you told New York Media a week or so ago that kinetic schools may be closed for the rest of the school year. Is that a definite timeline now? Should parents expect their schools buildings to be closed until June, June 30th?
2: Uh, Lucy, as you know, right now it's uh, April 20th is the date uh, of an almost daily contact with our Commissioner of Education, Miguel Cortona. We see this uh, pandemic, um, you know, running into June. So uh, I think uh, the school year, we'll have to take a look at that and give people direction, um, you know, as soon as we can. That said, uh, we're going to be delivering um, textbooks and um, other uh, school materials to 180,000 kids. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, our amazing teachers are doing tele um, classes right now, and uh, we're trying to get that ramped up. We've got a Scholastic online learning for K through um, uh, 12 kids, and we have Coursera. I hope we'll be able to announce this soon. An online education teaching for our university students as well. So um, we're doing everything we can to make sure this is not a wasted three months. But it's uh, students having a new way of learning and teachers having a new way of teaching.
1: Uh, we just, again, have a couple of minutes with Governor Ned Lamont. I'm going to paraphrase a question coming in from Aram in New Britain. He wants to know, can you as governor compel local city and towns to have employees work from home? He says in New Britain, uh, again, uh, city employees are still expected uh, to come to work.
2: Uh, let me call uh, Aaron Stewart on that. Um, uh, uh, Everybody who can work from home has to work from home, and that includes the city employees. Um, I know that there's some uh, frontline people who have to be there, uh, but um, uh, what we're trying to accomplish in state government and local government is work at home, stay at home, telecommute uh, Certainly for the next three weeks as we reach a peak, um, and that peak will be coming soon thereafter in New Britain as well.
1: Betty's calling from Voluntown. Uh, Betty, quickly with your question. Sure. I'm
0: concerned about inconsistencies and in how healthcare providers are directed to utilize PPE. For example, a local healthcare system provides its nurses working in the hospital setting one surgical mask for the week. If soiled or damaged, they have to ask to get another one and it might be provided. However, the same system provides direct care nurses in their medical group with as many surgical masks as they need. And other healthcare systems are not providing any masks to staff at all, such as unlicensed home care organizations. What can you do to ensure there is uniformity of enforcement of strong infection control standards? And thank you for your leadership, Betty. That's a great
2: question. Um, most important thing I can do is get more surgical masks, everything from N95 to the, um, you know, non-surgical and cloth masks. Uh, i'm going to leave it up to the experts who should get what type of protection uh, i'm working round the clock uh, every day making sure we get more of that uh, protective gear so i'm afraid what you're describing is is um you know some hospitals uh, setting priorities between uh, different categories of care you know intensive care versus uh, intermediate i think we're going to get some resolution on this and, and more capacity in the next week or two. I know that's cold comfort. you maybe heard it from me before, but I understand um, how urgent it is.
1: Uh, Governor Lamont, uh, just to circle back quickly, uh, when I asked about uh, school uh, being closed uh, through June, uh, is there talk about what what that will mean for summer school for kids who can't take advantage of distance learning like special ed or English language learners?
2: Well, for English language learners, I guarantee you everything we've got going online and all of our books are, are bilingual. So that's a uh, that's a start. I, I think July, our models are still um, not uh, as clear. So I can't tell you what July and August uh, looks like. I can tell you that uh, summer school seems imperative. Work-study uh, programs uh, for the summer are, are imperative. I've got to get kids back into a routine as, as soon as I can. That's a priority. I just right now from a public health, uh, Lucy, we just don't know what July looks like.
1: Uh, Before we let you go Governor Lamont, on Friday the ACLU of Connecticut sued uh, the state over uh, trying to get the state to release uh, prisoners uh, in our Connecticut correctional system to again protect them from uh, COVID-19. Your spokesman says administration can't comment because of pending litigation, but what about incarcerated youth and not in the Department of Correction facility? Uh, The child advocate recommends the state prioritize the immediate release least of medically vulnerable youth, including those with COVID-19 symptoms or chronic illnesses. We know there have been a, a couple of youth at least in the correctional centers that have tested positive. What are you going to do about that, Governor?
2: Do everything I can uh, from a public health point of view to keep those kids safe and to keep uh, all of our uh, people in uh, congested areas, compressed areas safe. You know, when it comes to, um, you know, corrections, uh, we have, um you know hundreds fewer uh, uh in um, incarcerated than we had just uh two months ago and we 're using that extra capacity to make sure that um those who are most vulnerable in this case is generally the older um uh, incarcerated individuals we get them into um a quarantine area we get them the negative pressure we get them the i c u we get them the safest that they can be if in fact the um there are locations outside of the facility where uh, we know that they could be safely taken care of. We make that a priority as well, so we continue to decompress what's going on in the um, correctional facilities. And for the young people, um, a little like what we have um, also with homeless and others, we're doing everything we can to spread people out, make sure that they're um, smaller groups where they can keep proper social distancing. In a particular, uh, Lucy, as you said, if there's anybody that uh, was uh, has tested positive, there's anybody that was in contact with people tested positive, we get them into a safer environment right away.
1: Uh, Governor Lamont, again, we thank you for calling in to where we live. Is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners and Connecticut residents about the next few weeks?
2: I can tell you that the next few weeks are going to be tough. I can tell you that... Um, The state is as well prepared uh, as we can be with the things that we control. I can tell you that I've been um, so impressed with the people of Connecticut stepping up and um, uh, the hospitals working together as one, the legislators, Republicans and Democrats working together as one, um, and and this is how we're going to power through this. I've got some frustrations with the federal government and getting the necessary protective gear that I need Because I'm asking a lot of frontline responders uh, to go to war, and I'm not giving them um, all the protection that they deserve. I know what a priority that is. I want you to know we're working our heart out, and uh, we're going to get through this together.
1: Governor Ned Lamont, again, thank you for calling in to where we live, and we apologize for that uh, short delay at, at the top of the segment. We hope to have you back soon.
2: Okay, be safe, Lucy. Take care, everybody.
1: This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to turn to an issue that advocates have raised over the last month. They say it's dangerous for people to be in close proximity because of how contagious COVID-19 is. But what does that mean for offenders, more than 11,000 of them inside Connecticut prisons and jails today? We're going to hear from the ACLU of Connecticut, which filed an emergency suit on Friday against the state. And you can join us too. 888-720- 9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy dahlpith broadcasting remotely. As of Friday, 11 Connecticut inmates have tested positive for COVID-19. Nearly three dozen others are waiting test results. And so far, 19 prison staff have confirmed cases. Social distancing is impossible in a confined space like prison or jail. That's why over the last month, the ACLU of Connecticut sent letters to the governor's office and the State Department of Correction asking them to protect people who've been incarcerated. Now, ACLU of Connecticut and Yale Law School's Human Rights Clinic and Legal Services Organization have sued the state, asking officials to reduce the number of people in Connecticut prisons and jails. Joining us now by phone is Melvin Medina, who's a public policy and advocacy director at the ACLU of Connecticut. Melvin, can you hear me? I can. Hi, Lucy. Uh, Hi, Melvin, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Can you respond uh, to uh, Governor Lamont, what he said about uh, trying his best uh, to keep people uh, separated in these particular confined spaces? And why is that response something that might still trouble you? Well, saying doing
3: everything I can isn't a plan. Uh, Valuing people means valuing the need to plan and coordinate the only sound public health solution right now, which is releasing people from prisons uh, to save lives. You know, it's frustrating to hear the governor go on and on about the need for regional thinking and regional approaches when New Jersey uh, and New York have taken action on creating a coordinated plan for prison releases. It's also frustrating to, to, to know that the only solutions that I could hear uh, in what in Governor Lamont's response was the use of solitary confinement as a way of trying to control the spread of COVID nineteen, which public health experts have reached out to the governor's office to let him know it would be completely ineffective. The the you know I heard Governor Lamont on this call say that you know he's not here to make excuses, he's here to solve problems. Well, the solution to this problem is to release people in a coordinated manner so that we can save lives. Yeah, Melvin
1: Yep. Uh, Melvin just to just to interject here. Uh, for people who are listening, uh, they might hear you say release people from prison or jail and wonder about public safety. So when we talk about releasing offenders who may still have time on uh, their sentence, what do you mean exactly and how can you ensure that the public will still be safe? So all
3: people people in prison um are living in a uh, a congregate housing setting and we i've identified vulnerable populations as those who have uh medical complications as people that um should be should, we should de uh densify the the prisons and jails um, for people that are likely to be released already. So, for example, uh, if, if your release date is in the next 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, you're going to be released anyways, And it's a better public health policy to reduce the population by releasing those people now rather than keeping them confined and risking spreading uh, diseases. Uh, when you look at our the case that we filed, we've got some compelling cases. Um, we have uh, we have folks that uh, have medical complications. For example, one of our plaintiffs uh, at McDougal walker has uh, Hashimoto disease, which is an autoimmune condition um, that attacks a person's uh, thyroid. Uh, we've got uh, uh, elderly folks, 61-year-old, um, who's in willard uh in Enfield. Um, we've got a person uh, currently right now that's being held in Connecticut prisons on a $5,000 bond that he can't afford and only has one lung. Uh, when you look at the medical complications that COVID-19 uh, causes, these are folks that fall within the spectrum of people that are at risk, uh, people that are elderly, people that have existing medical complications, um, and people that, without reducing the total number of people in prisons, mm-hmm. cause a larger threat uh, to the people inside of prisons uh, for, because of a rapid mm-hmm. spread of disease. The other thing I'll, I'll note is It is general business for the Department of Corrections and the state government to release people from prisons and do it in a safe manner. Uh, Connecticut's um, Connecticut's, uh, crime rate has gone down in the last five years. It's at a historic low. Uh, It shows that we actually can release people and keep people safe. Um, I would also note that the mothers, sisters, fathers, brothers that are reaching out to the DOC uh, and to the governor, uh, because they want their loved ones in their homes, as opposed to sitting in prison at the risk at the risk of getting COVID-19, is another example of why we can do this in a safe and thoughtful manner.
1: You're hearing Melvin Medina, the Public Policy and Advocacy Director at the ACLU of Connecticut. Uh, we're talking about uh, the ACLU and others filing an emergency suit on Friday, asking the state, the governor, to do more to protect the incarcerated population. Uh, Melvin, the administration points to uh, from March 1st to April, April, April 5th. The latest numbers is that the incarcerated population has decreased by 5.6%. How much more should uh, this population uh, decrease uh, for you to feel that these individuals will be safe?
3: Those numbers are slightly misleading, Lucy. Uh, what happened in March was uh, it is true that the Department of Corrections released around 700 people. What they're not telling you is that 333 of those people were end of sentence, meaning in the month of March, their sentence was ending anyways. What they're also not telling you is that in the month of March, in a global pandemic, uh, DOC took in another 342 people. So the net reduction total is 455 people between March 1st and April 1st. And what you're seeing is, despite the well-intentioned efforts by the DOC, there's no coordinated plan, there's no thoughtful plan to actually try to reduce these numbers by a meaningful amount, and a meaningful amount in light of a a global pandemic and this virus is thousands of people. I would also note that despite the fact that this administration has said that their focus is on moving elderly people out, you've got an 83-year-old right now sitting uh, in willard Sibolsky for evading responsibility who should be released and due to be released in August, another 81-year-old in that same facility. You've got... uh, You've got a 58 year old sitting uh, at York, uh, a female, uh, for failure to pay or plead. Um, uh, who was taken in uh, recently. I mean, uh, when you look at the pretrial population, because Governor Lamont hasn't given a direct order to law enforcement to limit arrests, we're seeing people in uh, Hartford uh, and in New Haven for small things like petty theft, like uh, six-degree larceny or failure to pay to plead, a 58-year-old and a 57-year-old. So when you look at the data itself, when you really dig into it, you see a, uh, you see a contradiction to the public statement that this administration has put out. What we're seeing is a well-intentioned effort to try to do something, but no plan. So Mm -hmm. what the net result is not a meaningful um, reduction in the prison population. I would also note that families have reached out to me, specifically mothers and sisters concerned about their loved ones, Mm -hmm. who have reached out to the Department of Corrections saying, I have a home, I will take my loved one in, please release them, and they have not done so. So these stories Mm -hmm. that I'm hearing, and the data just don't match up.
1: So speaking of families, uh, joining our conversation now is Amanda Swenningson, who's a Bristol, Connecticut woman. Uh, Her husband is incarcerated uh, right now at Madougal Correctional Institution. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your husband. How long has he been incarcerated and and what does it look like for him right now uh, with this pandemic while he's in prison?
0: So he uh, went into incarceration at McDougal Walker in November of 2019. So he's been there about five months. Um, Since incarceration uh, or since the pandemic, he's not given much information. What he knows about what's going on here on the outside is what I tell him what's going on. Um, When I ask him about, um, did you see the memo for the inmates that is posted on the DOC website, um, he has no idea what I'm talking about. Those memos are not posted for the inmates. Um, as far as, um, the inmates receiving masks, um, those masks were literally just given to the inmates on Friday, and they're not adequate. Um, when my husband put his mask on, the mask ripped, so he currently does not even have a mask. Um, so a lot of what, um, uh, the, po- the, the outside world, our world is being told, um, you know, oh, we're taking care of them, we're doing this, we're doing that. It's not, it's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, And
1: how often does he have contact with other inmates during the day?
0: Every, uh, he has um, two rec times, Mm -hmm. and it's uh, 50 to 60 men uh, during that rec time. And so it's about, uh, I believe it's about an hour each time.
1: So you're worried so there that... No,
0: there's no social distancing in that, in mm-hmm. that prison. They, they don't adhere to that social distancing. Uh,
1: we heard Melvin Medina from the ACLU mention home confinement. Um, is this something that would work in, in your husband's situation if he has seven Absolutely. more months on his sentence? And, and what Absolutely. can you do to get the word to officials that that would be uh, so to protect your husband's life?
0: So uh, yes, absolutely. He, he, I can take him in, absolutely. And I've done more than anything I can think of to get that word out. I've reached out to DOC, the warden. Um, I've reached out to Roland Cook, who um, has since blocked me. He will not speak to me. Um, <laughs> I've reached out to the ACLU. Um, I've reached out to um other advocate uh groups i've reached out to the governor i've reached out to anyone i can think of to say hey um my, I, 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 I am more than willing to take my husband in and bring him home during this pandemic, even if it's just during the pandemic. And you need to take him back after, whatever the case is. Put him on house
1: arrest. I don't care. <laughs> and um, beyond the fact that your husband um, has about seven more months left on his sentence, you're also worried about him because he has a mental health issue. And how do we, what do we know about what, how that's being uh, handled within uh, the prison?
0: They're not looking at his mental health issue at all. Mm -hmm. Um, He also has um, health issues as well. He has high blood pressure. He has um, anemia, and he has sleep apnea. Um, The only thing they do is every couple days, they check his blood pressure. That's it.
1: Well, Amanda, we, we thank you for calling into where we live. Amanda Swenningson, a, a Bristol, Connecticut woman to tell us about uh, her husband who still has seven months left uh, before he completes his sentence at McDougal. Uh, Melvin Medina, we talked a, a little bit about some of what the ACLU of Connecticut would like to see with this emergency suit. Again, uh, releasing those who um, are um, health is compromised, uh, the elderly those who are on pre-trial and have yet to be convicted, uh, but I'm just curious now that the suit has been filed. I mean, how quickly could there be any action um, towards what you're looking for?
3: Well, we're certainly living in, um, um, in in extraordinary times and in uncharted territory. So that we're we're hoping um, we can get before the court as quickly as possible. We'll, we have days, not weeks, to to to, to get. To get at this issue and do it and and do the do the right thing for Connecticut, you know, one thing I want to lift up about what Amanda has raised is the kind of growing inconsistencies of information that we've received, and um, it's not just um, uh, incarcerated people and the families of incarcerated people um, whose stories contradict what the kind of public message on what DOC is doing is. It's also unions, people that work in those prisons. So you know, for example, aps me uh, on April third. Um, uh, Michael Tuthill, the president of ASME, says, you know that they're severely short on good mask. Uh, to good masks to the point uh, that staff have been kind of reduced to purchase things on their own. That tracks with the governor's statement that statewide we're having an issue with PPE. Um, uh, SEIU 1199, the union that represents uh, the medical staff, uh, uh, you know, they one of their organizers is quoted saying the consequences of an ad- of an adequate response to the outbreak will be dev- devastating for work workers uh people who are incarcerated in our communities. So I think you know the fact that over the weekend uh, there was uh, uh, there was a civil unrest and uh, Carl Robinson speaks to the conditions in these prisons in light of a global pandemic are not great. Uh, we need a plan, we need a solution um, and that can come either by way of the courts uh or can come right now by Governor Lamont issue an executive order uh because he values these people in the same way that he has he's valued every other vulnerable population that he's uh provided an executive order on. So I think the hope is the goal is a quick conclusion so that we can get people um uh who are vulnerable out of prisons, um, who are medically compromised, part of the pretrial population, they haven't been convicted, people on technical or uh parole violations or probation violations. Um, And, uh, you know, the other potential is to furlough uh, Mm -hmm. people in prison so that they can return to their loved ones Mm -hmm. in the meantime while we try to stem this pandemic.
1: And you just referenced uh, over the weekend, a hundred prisoners were relocated to higher security facilities following a fight Saturday afternoon at the Carl Robinson Correctional Institution in Enfield. Uh, That fight sent one guard to the hospital and was the latest of several incidents at the prison, uh, which a spokesperson for the DOC said was sparked by the state's response to COVID-19. We did reach out to the Department of Correction for this show. They did did not uh, respond to our request for comment, but we want to thank you uh, Melvin Medina uh, for again talking with us about this emergency suit again filed against the state of Connecticut on Friday. Uh, Melvin is the public policy and advocacy director at the ACLU of Connecticut. Melvin, thank you for calling in today. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, the Connecticut General Assembly is not meeting because of COVID-19, but that hasn't stopped some lawmakers from weighing in on issues like incarceration during this pandemic. After the break, we're going to hear from State Senator Gary Winfield, co-chair of the Legislature's Judiciary Committee. And you can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, Connecticut U.S. Senator Chris Murphy will join us for the full hour. We're gonna talk about what lawmakers should be doing to protect public health and prevent health systems like hospitals from becoming overwhelmed. And if you have a question for Senator Chris Murphy, he'll be with us for the entire hour. We'll be sure to get to as many calls as we can. You can join that conversation tomorrow on Where We Live. Now, today we've been talking about the prison population during the pandemic. On Zoom now is State Senator Gary Winfield. He's a Democrat who represents New Haven and West Haven, also co-chair of the Legislature's Judiciary Committee. Uh, Senator Winfield, welcome to the show. Good morning. Uh, so tell us about what your perspective is, because uh, you have also been raising concerns about the Department of Correction and how they're going to handle uh, prisoners during this pandemic. Uh, what do you think about the what the ACLU um, is requesting that certain offenders like those who are elderly, those with uh, health issues, those on pretrial, they should be released?
4: Uh, I believe that we should be looking at that. So um, on the 17th of March, I sent a letter to the Department of Corrections uh, after having tried to, as most people trying to figure out where we actually are uh, with this uh, pandemic. I sent a letter to the Department of Corrections asking several questions, including uh, what the plan was, if there was a plan uh, for release, which uh, parts of the population would be released, how we were monitoring uh, both the people who are inside the system and uh, the guards and staff, and several other questions. Uh, Because it is my belief that um, we do not want to get to a point where we're reacting to this without a plan in place. So um, I'm not surprised by the fact that the ACLU and others uh, are looking at or have sued uh, the state of Connecticut to get answers and to get that release.
1: When we talk about releasing uh, inmates who may also still have time uh, on their uh, sentence, what does that mean for the safety net? Because we certainly don't want to see lots of people getting released. And if they don't have a place to go, that they then um, need to access a homeless shelter. We know those homeless shelters are working their best to keep social distancing with the people that are already accessing their services. So um, how can this uh, be rolled out responsibly, Senator Winfield?
4: That's the point of a plan. So the reason I asked for the plan was because I recognized that uh, simply releasing people creates a huge stress on a safety net. Um, and so the reason for asking was so that we would have already thought about what those things are um, and made an effort to put in place whatever is necessary. What I did not want to happen uh, was to get to the point where uh, there were suits and the potential exists for um, uh, the judicial branch to uh, cause a release that doesn't have a plan behind it that would then allow for that stress to occur. Uh, so yes, there's, a, there's absolutely a stress on the social safety net. But, but let's be uh, real. If there is an outbreak in one of our prisons that has a significant population, you'll also uh, put a stress on the hospitals, which, were, which are already taxed.
1: And when we think about this, again, we were asking for a plan from the Department of Correction long before we saw now uh, the number of inmates that have tested positive, the number of inmates, or, I'm sorry, staff within the prisons that have tested positive. Uh, so when, the, when we think about the, the plan that the DOC has now, can you respond to when they're putting facilities on lockdown? Is it similar to solitary confinement? Isn't that problematic?
4: I, I think, and I think. It is problematic. I'm not going to debate with the department whether it's solitary confinement or not. Uh, It is confinement to a cell or an area uh, that is not the way we want to be operating. I will say that. Um, It is too close uh, in many people's mind and mine as well uh, to conditions of solitary confinement. Um, Again, a plan allows us to see where we're going, why we're going, and the plan in place for the public to see allows for a critique. And I know that some people are concerned about critique in this moment. But what I do not want to happen uh, is to be a Monday morning. Reporter. I am the co-chair of Judiciary Committee. And when this is over, I am sure that I will be involved in assessing what happened. If I am not speaking now, uh, I think it's problematic to have something to say then.
1: Uh, Senator Winfield, what do you want to hear from Governor Lamont in this moment?
4: I WOULD LIKE FOR THE GOVERNOR TO to INFORM THE PEOPLE OF THE STATE THAT THERE MAY BE DECISIONS WHICH ARE VERY DIFFICULT TO MAKE, THAT WE MAY HAVE TO um, RELEASE IN A STRUCTURAL WAY uh, SOME PEOPLE WHO PEOPLE DON'T WANT TO SEE. I THINK IF THE GOVERNOR uh, STANDS UP PUBLICLY ON THIS, OTHER PEOPLE FOLLOW. Uh, YOU KNOW, THERE'S CONVERSATION ABOUT HOW um, JURISDICTION IS uh, BETWEEN THE EXECUTIVE BRANCH AND THE JUDICIAL BRANCH, BUT I THINK RIGHT NOW EVERYONE LOOKS TO THE GOVERNOR FOR LEADERSHIP. Uh, SO IF THE GOVERNOR STANDS UP AND SAYS, this is uh, the thought of this state, this is the direction we're moving in, that's where everybody goes.
1: I asked Governor Lamont briefly about incarcerated youth, uh, thinking back to the recommendations from the child advocate. We know that at least three juveniles at the juvenile detention center in Hartford have tested positive for the disease. Some other tests are pending. Uh, the judicial branch oversees these two detention centers. So what? how can the state do a better job of responding to our incarcerated youth and making sure they're safe?
4: I think that the governor talks about the uh, public health nature of this. I think we need to keep that paramount. Uh, so there are several things in place. Uh, young people, uh, for all of the planning we can do, tend to have a different level of care when it comes to hygiene, no matter what you do. Uh, so we need to be thinking about how do we remove uh, them from our system and still pay attention to where they are. Uh, and and. Uh, the ability when this is over potentially to bring them back into the system. But right now we need to be thinking about getting them out of these places that we know uh, breed uh, disease um, in normal times. Uh, So when you look at a pandemic of this type with a disease that spreads faster than even the flu, for which we already had a pandemic plan, uh, it is good public, public health policy to be doing so
1: you mentioned that you reached out to the department of correction uh, for a few weeks now and uh, you wanted to hear more about their plan what has been commissioner cook's response to your request for information
4: the commissioner has given me uh, the plan that's available to everybody Um, and uh, so i will say that the and the commissioner has been willing to speak with me uh, in an ongoing fashion the issue i have is that it is still not clear to me what we're doing so for instance i sent a question in asking what is the trigger for testing uh and the answer i got was that it's reflective of the cdc guidelines but anybody who's paid attention to the guidelines know uh that there is a certain level of discretion in the guideline and so i need to know in order to answer my question what is the trigger for you uh, and i can't get that answer am- amongst several other questions so it's not that they're not answering it's that the answers are not complete
1: uh, before we go, uh, Senator Winfield, I know we're talking about the incarcerated population. There are other vulnerable populations in our state, including uh, patients in state-run facilities uh, operated by Demas Hospitals, also Southbury. Uh, Kathy on Twitter has been asking for several days now, how is the state responding to these residences that are serving people with disabilities? Aren't Isn't that a concern as well?
4: It is a major concern. And actually, I'm in the middle of uh, drafting a letter to the department. Uh, asking about that because I'm concerned about places even in my own city like uh, the Connecticut Mental Health Center and their ability to actually isolate people and do some of the things that are called for. Uh, and and we, we know what's happened with CBH and other places. So uh, it is a major issue. Uh, Senator Matt Lesser has been doing a lot of work on this along with many others. Uh, and I think, um, I hope to be able to raise the um, attention around that the way that I've been able to around the Department of Corrections.
1: Uh, This is an unprecedented moment. It sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Um, As a longtime legislator, uh, how are you able to still do your work? How are you still communicating with your colleagues in the General Assembly?
4: So I update my uh, social media constantly. If you're on my Senate Facebook page, or even my uh, individual Facebook page, uh, I'm putting out information there. I'm uh, talking to people through Uh, Twitter, um, social media is our lifeblood right now. And then, of course, the media has been very good about uh, responding to uh, the questions I have uh, and writing articles around. So there are plenty of ways for legislators to still be uh, visible and heard and impactful at this time.
1: And what do we know about when the General Assembly uh, leadership will be talking about next steps? Again, because we hear from the governor and others that the peak is coming.
4: Uh, I think the answer to that question is that they're constantly talking about it. Uh, I think the the question is, when are we going to be able to do something? Um, and that is that's changed by the circumstances on the ground every day. So I don't have that answer, but there's a constant conversation about
1: it. Well, I want to thank State Senator Gary Winfield for joining us here on Where We Live. Again, he's co-chair of the Judiciary Committee. Senator Winfield, we appreciate your time. Thanks again. Thank you. Again, uh, Senator Winfield joined us via Zoom. Uh, Today's show is produced by Test Terrible, thanks to Carmen Baskoff screening calls, and Kat Pastor is our technical producer. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Just a reminder, U.S. Senator Chris Murphy will be on our show tomorrow for the full hour. We hope you join us. Thanks for listening.